You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Welcome to Wellness Realness, where we get very real about all things health and wellness, physical, mental, financial, and spiritual. I'm your host, Christina Rice, a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm here to help you up-level every aspect of your life. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You can find an endless amount of content from me and join my online membership at christinaricewellness.com. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and my most unfiltered self, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to Wellness Realness Crew on Instagram and request to follow my super secret account. You can also join the Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe Facebook group to hang out with other listeners in the crew. Get ready for some wellness realness. Today we are talking about all things biohacking on the podcast, one of my favorite topics. I have an incredible guest, Angela Foster. She is a leading female biohacker and a certified health and performance coach, and her work is so interesting. With her clients, she combines DNA analysis with different holistic practices and obviously bio-individual recommendations related to their health, energy, and performance. And I just love that she understands the female perspective on biohacking because there are a lot of biohackers out there in today's space and a lot of people are talking from the male perspective. And I loved being able to chat with her about some of the other considerations for women. And I know so many of you here love all things biohacking and will definitely appreciate the female perspective. And she has a really interesting history as well. She recovered from a really serious illness back in 2014 and ended up leaving the world of corporate law to pursue biohacking and health optimization. And now she works with so many incredible high-performing clients, CEOs, entrepreneurs, executives, athletes, helping them figure out what works for their individual body. She is the founder and CEO of My DNA Edge. And she hosts the High Performance Health Podcast. If you love all things biohacking and you enjoy this conversation, definitely check out her podcast because it is incredible. You can find more information from her at AngelaFosterPerformance.com and MyDNAEdge.com. And of course, on her podcast, the High Performance Health Podcast, and on Instagram at Angela S. Foster. This woman is amazing. I cannot say enough great things about her. She has such a grounded approach to biohacking and I think has such an open mind. There are so many biohackers that are just only looking through the lens of 50-year-old men. So it was so great to have a very experienced woman share her perspective and what she's seen with clients and herself. We talk about sleep hacks, exercise, nutrition, of course, all the things. You are going to love it. And I just want to remind you, there is one week left to sign up for the pod course. If you want to launch a kick-ass podcast and you want to learn what it took me five years to figure out, you need this course. We are starting October 12th and enrollment closes October 5th. You will learn from me, Kelly Tennant, and Connor Moore. We've all been podcasting for quite some time when we cover everything from technology, booking guests, finding guests, how to interview, 
branding your show, monetizing your show. And during the six-week course, you get weekly Q&A calls with all three of us. You can ask us all of your questions. So you can head to thepodcourse.com to sign up before it's too late. One week left. You will not want to miss out on this. But let's get into today's show. Enjoy this conversation with the incredible Angela Foster. If you don't already have a pair of Blue Blocks blue light blocking glasses, now's the time to get a pair. There are so many blue blockers out there on the market and I have tried many different brands, but it wasn't until I found Blue Blocks that I actually truly noticed the difference and I realized that all of the other glasses that I thought were working for me before weren't really. Blue Blocks Sleep Plus Red Lens is the only true 100% blue and green light blocking lens for after sunset use. You have not worn blue light blocking glasses until you've tried a pair of the Sleep Plus. Trust me, this helps so much with your sleep, reduces anxiety, and relaxes you in the evening. This makes a huge difference on my sleep, which then affects my productivity during the day, my hunger levels, my energy, my mood. So if you struggle with any of those, you need a pair of Sleep Plus lenses. And then also during the day, I wear the blue light clear lens which is a blue light filtering lens for during the day. This is ideal for people who work in more natural lighting and you want to avoid migraines, headaches, macular degeneration, and digital eye strain. I work on the computer pretty much all day, so I really need to wear these. Otherwise, I get a headache, I get moody, crabby. It's not good. They also have the Summer Glow Yellow Lens, which is a blue light blocking meets color therapy. So these are daytime glasses for people who work under more intense artificial lighting. And if you struggle with migraines, anxiety, or depression, these are great. This is one of the simplest and best things that you can do for your sleep and your overall health is wearing the Sleep Plus Red Lens in the evening when the sun goes down and either the blue light clear lens or the summer glow yellow lens during the day, it will change your life and your productivity and your health. If you want to improve your sleep or balance out your hormones, then you need to be wearing these blue light blocking glasses. Blue blocks has changed my life in so many ways. And if you really want to take your sleep to the next level, then check out their remedy sleep mask. It is a 100% light blocking sleep mask, which is used to increase restorative sleep cycles, your REM and deep sleep. I have tried other sleep masks before. They don't do anything. This is a real deal. And I have tracked my sleep with many different devices and apps. And I've done experiments with different blue blockers. The data is clear. Blue box has been by far the most effective. And I notice a huge difference in my sleep when I'm wearing the Sleep Plus Red Lens, the Blue Light Clear Lens during the day, and even better when I'm using the Remedy Sleep Mask. They have about 20 frames to pick from. You can send in your own frames. They can also do a custom-made prescription. So there's an option for everyone. And for every pair of Blue Blocks they sell, they donate a pair of reading glasses to someone in need. So make sure you check them out. You can head to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. Dot com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S will get you 15% off. And if you're wondering, my favorite frames are the Parker frames. I'm really curious how you got into biohacking. Yeah, so it was kind of a really checkered um, route, actually, Christina. So I started out as a corporate lawyer. Um, it's a completely different industry. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> working really different and working super long hours in London. You know, um, it was great fun, you know, with all my friends from law school. We kind of played hard, worked really hard. 
And then I was kind of typical type A personality, kind of pushing ahead, made partnership. And then I had my three children. And that's where things kind of started to to change. I'd had a little brush with my health at that point where I'd found out that I had uh, polycystic ovaries and endometriosis. And I was originally prescribed metformin for Mm. insulin resistance. And so I was kind of getting a little bit into nutrition on the side, but mainly for the purposes of fertility, like figuring out how I could have my children naturally with what I had. Um, So I was doing my own research then. And then after I had my kids, that's when things um, became quite different. I suffered really badly with postpartum depression and it got progressively worse each time. And then eventually after my third child, I'd had the three of them quite quickly within sort of four and a half years. And after my third, I was then diagnosed with chronic depressive disorder and put on bipolar medication. And it was all a big change. And essentially, I think I was just so low at that point and on such a low ebb that I was having suicidal thoughts and things had gotten kind of quite bad. And that then took an effect on my immune system. It's quite topical actually at the moment with, with the kind of pandemic that's going around. But I ended up with a really nasty chest infection that developed into pneumonia on both lungs. And then they, they actually got kind of so bad that my lymph glands were really swollen. They thought I had lung cancer. So I was rushed into hospital with some tests and then kind of told, you know, you can't go home or to admit you. And, and things were going the wrong way. I was neutropenic and really fighting for my life. And it was, it sounds really woo-woo, but that was like an awakening moment for me where I think I tried to run away from myself in that kind of depressive episode so much, you know, I adored my children. There was never an issue there and my husband, but I really just, I just wanted to turn my thoughts off. I just wanted to turn off my head. And that moment in hospital kind of, there you are, you're on your own. And, um, that's when I realized actually, I really wanted to make sure I could be present and be a part of my kids' lives. And then, you know, things turned around. Um, and that's when I came out and initially it was like, I'm taking a career break and I'm just going to look into health for my own benefit. And then as I was studying it more and more, I started working with clients and I was looking really from a kind of performance aspect. How could you have high performance and combine that with optimal health? And then over as I did it more and more, I realized actually optimized health is kind of the foundation of longevity and performance. And so, yeah, it kind of all grew from that. So when you say performance, do you mean athletic performance or brain performance? I did a bit with athletes, but I mean more, yeah, brain performance and kind of performance in life. So looking at, I just think that health optimization means different things for different people. But for me, I guess it means making sure that my brain and body can do the things that I want it to do when I want to do it. Mm. Um, so yeah, and that's when I kind of looked into biohacking and things like nutrigenomics and things like that. Yeah. And so what was your first doorway into that? I feel like most people don't just fall in into nutrigenomics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no, that's true. They don't. Um, the first bit was actually, it comes back to kind of the gynecological problems that I had. So I knew that PCOS was linked with insulin resistance. And so there was, and I had a really strong family history of diabetes, type type two, type two diabetes, and also chronic kidney disease. So there was a lot of kidney failure on my father's side of the family. And I was quite keen to see, well, how does that work? And I'd obviously seen results already. So my PCOS was kind of, you can't get rid of it, but it was going into remission by lowering the carbohydrates in my diet. So I wanted to understand more. And I was kind of searching, searching, you know, what could there be a link between that and genetics? And then I started taking courses in it. 
And that's when I realized that there was actually, you know, I could see it with my own eyes when I tested myself that I had a very high carbohydrate sensitivity, but also a very high sensitivity to saturated fats and um, two copies of the obesity gene. And so then that kind of like, I've never been sort of overweight. So that really sparked a further interest in me because I was thinking, well, it must be the expression of those genes that's important rather than the underlying genetics. And I think we have, you know, much more influence over our genes and our genetic outcomes than we first thought. So it's it was from there. And then I started working with clients and helping them understand how to optimize their nutrition with a view to their genetics. Yeah. So can we just like, for listeners, break down what nutrigenomics is? Yeah, sure. So um, so I like the way I like to think of it, if you imagine that your genetics, if you're if you're kind of if your body's like a computer and your genetics are kind of the software program that it's running on, and your DNA sends out chemical messages all the time to make certain enzymes and proteins and hormones. And depending on the external influences that are going in, in terms of environment, um, the nutrition that you eat, and also to a degree, the thoughts that you think as well, because they create hormones of stress, that in real time is changing the um, expression of those genes. So it's kind of like a pianist playing notes on the piano, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's changing it in real time. And nutrigenomics really is just actually looking specifically at food and looking at how those foods may ex- may affect the expression of that individual's genetics. It's, a, so, it's an emerging area still. So. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting and a lot of people are are super interested in it but don't really know how to apply what they're what they learn or they just they get, you know, a 23andme test and then don't really know what to do with it and now there are all of these uh different programs companies that just like analyze your genes for you, uh which I was telling you before, I've I've done a few of those just to see what comes up, which is interesting. Um, but I think my question is like, you know, if, let's say somebody gets their genes tested and then they get these recommendations. Like, what about environmental factors? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like with these companies that just spit out here are your diet recommendations based on your genes, I'm like, well, what if that person has other like underlying issues like gut dysbiosis or hormone problems that have popped up because of the environment? And I think that's, that's a really good point that you make there. That's super important because it is all about the environment. So your genetics and the kind of nutritional side of genomics is really just one element. Um, if your gut isn't functioning properly, and, and that's, again, another emerging area, because now we're starting to understand more and more about the genetics of the microbiome and what those, what's the DNA of your microbiome, because so much of us is actually bacteria. But I think that area... It's harder to study and it's not, it's still very much a learning process. You have companies like Biome that are testing and are getting to know this, but that kind of AI that's used effectively is learning all the time and developing. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to see massive changes in the next five to 10 years for sure. And I think we're going to get better and better at, at kind of understanding how people should eat. But if there is any kind of dysbiosis or problems in the gut or pathogens, then obviously they need dealing with because they cause their own problems. This is really, and, and I think, you know, you make a very good point there. Just looking at a genetic report and saying, well, you know, I'm really high, highly sensitive, for example, to carbs. So therefore I'm going to go very, very low carb has other implications. Because if you have somebody who is very active, very energetic, they might need more carbohydrates. And actually you might find that 
if you really go low carb or they're doing a lot of fasting initially, for example, they could end up not sleeping very well at night. And then that has its own health problems. So I think that's the thing. I think you've always got to work with a practitioner to understand what your DNA means and then how that's just one piece of the puzzle in terms of putting it together and creating a personalized plan. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when I was uh, sharing with my audience these different tests I was, <laughs> I was trying out and people were asking me, they're like, well, when you get, when you get those recommendations and if you get recommendations and you already have health issues, is it because you're not following the recommendations or that you should fix the health issues and then follow the diet and exercise recommendations? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think it, yeah, it definitely does. And I think it depends kind of from person to person. Mm. So, you know, I think, for example, if you've got somebody who maybe has like we can see genetically that they have a greater need for detoxification support. We know that we can't just do a detox program or, you know, um, and expect that to just work a few times a year. We need to be detoxifying daily. And that's looking at what are our detoxification genetic pathways? Do they need more support in terms of things like cruciferous vegetable needs? But then, as you say, we've got to look at the lifestyle as well and see, well, what pressure is the liver under from other kind of things that it's getting overloaded with from you know, hormones, are we metabolizing estrogen effectively? Or is it kind of getting repackaged and entering back in the body? Are we, um, are we exposed to lots and lots of toxins or metals and things like that? And it's pulling it all together. There's actually a really exciting company I'm, I'm working with in the UK, but they're not in the US yet that has, um, a platform where it actually puts all of this information together for you. So they'll look at your genetics, but then they'll couple that with your gut tests. They'll couple it with your toxin tests. And then they'll also input things like if you've done a Dutch test for hormones and stress, and they'll aggregate all that data together for you. It's very clever. And then give you recommendations based on everything. Um, That's impressive. So that kind of is coming. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, like with your clients, what is your process like if somebody was to work with you? What does that look like? So if someone was working with me and they, um, I would first of all look at, we don't always often, I will do a DNA test because I think it provides a good foundation, particularly when they're looking at health optimization. But it's more about understanding in the first place, what, what issues have they got going on? What kind of symptoms? Why are they coming to see me? And that varies. Obviously, some people have health issues. Other people are coming because they just want um, really high levels of performance. And there may be it's more lifestyle based. So maybe they're not sleeping well, or, you know, maybe they are, they're not as lean and healthy as they want to be. And they've got some blood results that are showing slight metabolic dysfunction. And how do we get them back on track? So initially, it's about having that initial consultation and working out with them, what the issues for for them are potentially, and then what goals they have and what they're looking to achieve, and then putting a plan together. Mm. So I want to talk about metabolic dysfunction and like, so I basically was low carb keto for like the better half of four years to get my gut dysbiosis under control. And I had, you know, all these chronic health issues. Um, and, but the whole time I had really bad blood sugar regulation. And then in the last year I started using a CGM and like when I was low carb, like I'm going to say like under 75 grams of carbs, um, my blood sugar was all over, all over the board. Um, and so I started talking about this on social media and then I started eating super high carbohydrate and like low fat. My blood sugar was just like flat. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, so basically you're saying you went high carb and low fat. 
mm-hmm. and then your blood sugar stabilized. And what about your protein? Was that staying the same on both um, nutrition plans? I definitely reduced my protein when I went high carb. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we know like through kind of gluconeogenesis, like protein can get converted into sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different things. Obviously, the carbohydrates do, but there could be because you had such gut dysbiosis before. Maybe there's things that are going on with your gut that actually it feels happier and tolerates better on a high carb diet. Mm-hmm. Any kind of stress on the body will cause blood sugar dysregulation. That's the thing because and and I noticed I wore one of those continuous blood glucose monitors as well. And it was really interesting to see that every time I was under pressure, regardless of what I ate, even if I didn't change it, my blood sugar would go up and I'd see this spike. Similarly, caffeine would have that effect, right? And that's regardless of what you're eating, even if you are low carb. And then when I would do things like relaxation exercises or gratitude or just spend time kind of chilling out with my kids, it would just go back down. And I and I also found the other thing as well that really affected it is a poor night's sleep. So when I was woken up by the kids during the night, the next day my blood sugar would be less well managed. Uh, and I think I think stress has a massive impact as well. Yeah, it definitely does. No, that was super interesting for me too when I was looking like, there were a couple of times, this is over like two months, there were a couple of times I cried <laughs> and then I would look and my blood sugar would be so high at those hours. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. But I mean, it's, it's true. Um, and I'm, I'm curious when you look at people's genetic data, is there a correlation between like the type of dietary recommendations going along with specific like fitness recommendations? that makes sense? Um, in terms of like taking account of their exercise, so sort of coupling their genetics alongside their yeah. activity levels. Or- yeah. Like, do you notice like if, if somebody does better on a l- lower carb diet based on their genetics, does that type of person usually do best according to their genetics on like with a certain type of exercise regimen? I haven't kind of seen, yeah, I think that's all over the place. So I haven't seen, um, specifically that certain people will have exercise predispositions alongside nutritional. I think that is a bit more all over the place. I think that um, sometimes I think it's more that I would adjust what they were eating according to their exercise demands. Mm. But I, I can't say to you, for example, that, you know, I would see somebody that was more power dominant exercise wise is going to tolerate carbs better. I haven't, I haven't noticed that correlation. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because I thought about mm. that when I saw all of the recommendations these companies um, sent me. But with with the brain performance, I want to go into that a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what what things, what biohacks you find move the lever the most in terms of helping people with their brain performance. So I think this is a really interesting area, isn't it? Kind of looking at nootropics and what works, because one of the things I've found is so far, a lot of the ones that we see on the market, um, they do have some kind of attenuation. So as soon as you're taking them, if you take them, you've got to take a break. And I think even companies like Neurohacker, for example, they do actually say cycle on for five days and then two days off. And I think most people in any event without kind of some of the other compounds that are in there will always get an uptick in energy from things like caffeine and from B vitamins without looking at the other compounds. Um, and you know, things like L-theanine, for example, will see a more stabilizing effect. So particularly if someone's more sensitive to caffeine, I think, um, something that people underestimate is even like just taking essential amino acids alongside a bit of creatine 
really does actually help give you an uptick in terms of that mental performance. Um, but also keeping inflammation low. You know, we know that that affects the brain as well. And so keeping to an anti-inflammatory diet and be careful of the kind of fats that you've got in your diet is really important. So for some people, yeah, they'll get amazing effects with things like bulletproof coffee and they'll have those very high fats and they'll get that sustained level of concentration. That's where the genetics kind of interplay with the, with the brain function. Because you wouldn't necessarily want to encourage somebody who had a very high sensitivity to saturated fats to go on a very high fat diet. That wouldn't necessarily lead to good health outcomes for them, particularly if they have the APOE4 gene. So we know that that increases, you know, one copy of that gene increases your risk of Alzheimer's by around 30%. And that also is correlated with a risk of cardiovascular problems as well. Mm -hmm. So... In those individuals, it might be looking at actually dialing back the fat and not using it in that way and maybe going for things like black coffee, but also then sleep becomes a massive, massive factor because we want to know that they're clearing that clock as much as they can at night and they're getting that really deep, restful sleep. And so then it's kind of looking at, well, how do we get them to wind down effectively in the evening to make sure that we can institute that level of sleep? Yeah. And I think a lot of people notice now, like with their aura rings or whatever sleep trackers that even if they're getting a lot of sleep, what they think is a lot of sleep, they're not really because they're not getting good quality sleep. Um, and so what recommendations do you have for people who are struggling to like really get into deep sleep? So there's a couple of things that I found like tracking it as well with Aura and with clients that I think make a really big difference. The first one is making sure that you're not eating or drinking close to bedtime. So if your digestive system, and so that really means for three hours before bed, that you start to fast, that makes a massive difference. And I think if people are monitoring it, what they'll find as well is that by not eating a big meal in the evening, they'll actually see their resting pulse drop pretty dramatically and their body temperature may drop a little bit, but more importantly, their HRV is likely to go up. Now that obviously HRV, so we're talking here the heart rate variability. So for people who aren't familiar with that, that's the interbeat variability. So if somebody had like an average person has a heartbeat of 60 beats per minute, it's not going to be one beat per second. The heart um, rhythmically varies quite a lot within that minute. And so the aura will track your heart rate variability over the course of the night. And you can see how well parasympathetically you are engaged as in how much the two communication systems are working. So if you're relaxed and you're kind of responding to stress when you need to, and then you're coming back to that sort of rest and digest, we'll see good levels of heart rate variability. And that often then, but not always, will correlate with better levels of deep sleep. Sometimes I'll see people and actually their HRV looks really, really good, but they're still not getting into deep sleep. So then it's a case of, well, what other factors could there be at play? Eating is definitely one thing I mentioned. The other thing is light. I think it has a massive impact and light from screens in particular. We're, we're exposed to more blue light now than we ever were before and more than we could even access from the sun. So that has a big impact on things like melatonin production and the ability to enter into deep sleep. Mm-hmm. The other thing that makes a difference is sleep timing. So I think that people, and actually at the moment, what I'm doing is producing a course all about sleep for people to take so they can start to understand it. Because I think once you understand your own circadian rhythm and your chronotype, that's when you can really start to move the needle on sleep properly. Because you know, you've probably experienced this yourself, right? That second wind when you go, 
oh, I was so tired. Maybe you've been to a party or something. And then just this kicked in and I just had this second wind and it was amazing. And that is, you know, when that melatonin starts to come in during the course of the evening, which is getting you ready for that deep sleep, melatonin is actually a powerful antioxidant. It's an anti, it has anti-cancer benefits. And there are lots of other antioxidants that get upregulated for that deep repair. Now, if you miss that cue to sleep, that surge in activity actually gets interpreted as energy, and then you can struggle to go to sleep. So you kind of don't want to miss that window. So a lot of this is down to timing as well and getting the individual's timing correct. If you don't already have an entire shelving unit dedicated to Organifi, you probably need to get one because after you try their products, you will need it. It is no secret that I am obsessed with Organifi. And one of my year-round favorites is their Organifi Gold, but it's that time of year they have their pumpkin spice flavor out. So you definitely need to hop on that ASAP. Chocolate gold and the pumpkin spice. I have no words. They are addicting and they have so many incredible health benefits. The pumpkin spice has 12 superfoods in it from organic turmeric, ginger extract, reishi, lemon balm, turkey tail, magnesium chloride. It's literally the perfect nighttime beverage and gives you everything you need. The reishi is incredible for extra rest and relaxation. It's an adaptogen that's very grounding and it's been shown to boost the immune system and help to promote recovery and repair. And the turkey tail in there is great for digestion at the end of the day and has really powerful immune supporting properties as well. And that magnesium is super relaxing, helps to relieve anxiety, aids in recovery, decreases aches and pains, and it's a cofactor for vitamin D synthesis. And literally all you have to do is add some hot water and you have a delicious golden milk that's pumpkin spice flavored. One of my other favorite products that I talk about all the time is the Organifi Green Juice. It's this delicious minty green juice with 11 superfoods that help to detox the body and naturally boost your energy without having to have a cup of coffee. And all you have to do is put a scoop in some cold water and you're good to go. And I love to add some almond milk or coconut milk and it just makes this mm, delicious elixir. Some of the superstar ingredients include moringa, which has been used for centuries to help fight disease, improve skin health, and boost energy. Ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen to help balance out your energy cycles throughout the day. It also has spirulina, which we all know I love. It's a dried blue-green algae loaded with micronutrients. It's a natural pick-me-up and it's stuffed with protein, iron, and calcium. And the green juice also has chlorella, spirulina, beets, turmeric, mint, wheatgrass, lemon, and coconut water. And this is one of my favorite ways to get chlorella and spirulina into my body every single day. These are great for detoxing the body, assuming your detox pathways are open. So if you are looking to detox from heavy metals or anything else, the green juice is a delicious way to do it. Those are just a few of the products I love. I'm obsessed with pretty much everything they have. Their red juice, their immunity, their pure, hence why I need multiple shelves for all of my Organifi products. If you have not already tried these, you need to hop on the Organifi train. You will notice a huge difference in your energy levels, your mental clarity, and notice a huge, huge difference and they taste delicious. So if you want to try them out, you can head to Organifi.com slash CRW for 15% off. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash CRW and that code CRW will get you 15% off. And when you get your order in the mail, tag me on Instagram so I can see what you got. Can you talk more about sleep chronotypes and how people find out what they are? 
Yeah, for sure. So um, you guys in in the States have probably heard of Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor. Yeah, so he's obviously done a lot of research into it. He's categorized people on four types. Um, he kind of added one in. So they, uh, there is the um, early morning lark, um, the night owl, and then the middle people are kind of known as the hummingbird. And that's what's really been in a lot of the established scientific literature. Because we're mammals, he's kind of renamed it as lions, wolves, and then bears are the equivalent of the hummingbird. And then he's created a category of people because this is basically what he's found from his research is there's actually about 10% of the population that are more vulnerable to insomnia and just don't sleep well. And those he terms the dolphins. And so he has questionnaires. I think you can do the quiz, the power of when to find out. But essentially that again is genetic. So it's based on things like the PER3 and the clock genes. And that looks at genetically what chronotype are you. And so that again is something that when you're doing a DNA test, you can find out as well what your chronotype is and also some information on um, how good you are at sleeping, whether you're naturally more of a light sleeper. And for people that are, then they can start taking steps to think, okay, maybe I need to pay a bit more attention to my sleep hygiene because I'm going to find it a bit harder than the next person to get into that deep sleep. Can you change your sleep chronotype? Like, do you have to work with it? Because I know there are people who are like, oh, I don't want to be a night owl or I don't want to be a morning person. As in, can you try and manipulate it to be? Yeah, yeah. I think that you can manipulate it a bit for sure. There are things that you can do, but you can move it by a few hours. I think if you were a really strong night owl, it would be hard to go completely out of alignment and try and get up at 5 a.m. And it's, you know, the 5 a.m. club, I think, isn't for everyone. So unless you'd got to a point, you can make these subtle shifts. Um, and you can definitely use things like light early in the day of getting outside, um, getting up earlier, you know, moving your food timing has a lot. You know, we have these clocks on all of our organs. It's not just through our eyes. We have the master clock in the brain, the SCN. We have them all over our organs. So I think you can use them to move it a bit. But I think that going and trying to switch, if you're one extreme and you're trying to swing the other way, it's harder. Mm-hmm. Naturally, as we age, age has an impact as well. because. As you get older, you tend to wake up a little bit earlier. So we see that anyway, just like teenagers tend to sleep a bit later and want to go to bed later. Mm-hmm. So that has a bit of an impact as well. What's your, what's your type? So I'm an early morning person and it's, it's funny. My, my genetics have said that I've done a couple of tests and then I'd already done the tests, the power of when, and it also came out as that. So. And naturally, I will wake without an alarm before six. So, yeah. What about you? Well, I I want to I want to know what it is genetically, but I'm a night person. Oh yeah, (laughs) definitely a night person. But I don't want to (laughs) be. So you'd rather move it to an early morning. I wish I was a morning person, but I just yeah, I'm just a night person. It's really, but then I'm like, I don't know how much of it is like you know, Lyme disease or like health stuff that just like makes me tired. Mm. But I've always been like that since I was little. I'm I'm not a morning person. Um but yeah, I was to bed quite late though. Um I usually go to bed between ten and eleven. But okay, like so not if yet. if I was left to my own devices, like I would go to sleep at like two AM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um <laughs> do do you find that the aura ring is the best way to track? sleep i'm curious what you think 
I think it's really good. It's interesting because I went to a workshop actually in London with Matthew Walker, you know, who wrote Why We Sleep. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously really kind of leading the forefront of that sleep research. And I think his lab are actually trying to bring something out when I last saw him, which is going to be more accurate. You can never replicate what's going on in the um, in the laboratories. We just don't have that technology yet. But certainly out of the ones that are available, um, he wears the aura ring. So I think it's probably the most accurate. I sometimes use for people that don't want to wear jewelry. Like I have some male clients who just won't wear a ring. And then we use the whoop strap. It's a bit more complex to understand. And I think it's geared more at athletes. So it's always looking at your strain um, and how hard you're working. I like the simplicity of Aura. But I think the most important thing, to be honest, is when you've got a tracker is to just measure it against your own results. And as long as you're doing that, you're getting an idea of trends. So like, HRV is a really good example. Don't compare it to somebody else's because some people do have naturally lower HRV. So you're better off just comparing your own trend and and seeing how you can improve it than you are looking at other people's stats. Do you have any concerns around the EMFs from these prices? Yeah, I do. I think, and so with Aura, what I like is that you can turn it off. You can not have that Bluetooth on. It can be in airplane mode and it will store that data and then um, give you that information when you want it. And for people who are really sensitive, you can even remove the ring put it on the bedstand on charge and then download the information while it's not on you. Um, I do think EMF, some people I find are more sensitive than others, particularly people that experience chronic fatigue, things like that. They do seem to be more sensitive. Um, but I think that everyone needs to be concerned about it and take precautions. And I think, you know, particularly with children, I always say to people, if you haven't, if you can't hardwire your internet and you are using Wi-Fi, at least turn it off at night. Just let your body rest and not have that interference because also children under the age of 12, their skulls are actually thinner. So they're more vulnerable to this radiation. Um, so it's really important for, for parents with children as well. So what what kind of precautions do you take throughout the day? And I'm assuming you turn off your Wi-Fi at night like to just mitigate yeah. the effects of different EMFs. Yeah, so I turn off my Wi-Fi every night. Um, I use wired headphones rather than Bluetooth ones. I, um, I, I'm barefoot most of the time and I'll go outside to kind of get that earthing in the negative electrons. Um, I, so I try to minimize it. You know, I have got an Apple watch, but it's in airplane mode. I don't use it as a, to constantly beep at me. Um, I keep my phone away from me. I turn that off at night. Cell phones never on. Um, I don't, I don't personally use things like earthing sheets to sleep on. I haven't noticed that I am that sensitive. Mm. Um, but I also do like quite a lot of kind of, I guess, biohacking things that try and offset some of the health implications. So you'll probably see my sauna behind me, which I love. Yeah. Um, that's got, uh, that one, the impulse is the, uh, it's got near, far and mid infrared. So it's got all the different light waves. I also have a separate like red light that I use as well, which is great for, and near-infrared, which is great for things like mitochondrial health and improving energy. Um, so I use that. And I'm really kind of as clean as I can be with my diet. So, yeah, different things. Yeah, I am a super sensitive to EMFs. Um, and I started sleeping on a grounding mat, like on the bed, not the sheets, but just a mat. And, oh, my God, I feel like when I wake up, I feel like I was drugged. I sleep so hard when I have that. Really it helps so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I notice a huge difference. Like I always, like I stand on grounding mats when I'm 
working and I have like all kinds of crystals and stuff. And, but if I don't go outside and ground like for at least 30 minutes a day, I feel awful. Like, and I get really inflamed. Um, so I'm definitely super sensitive to it. Uh, is there like, is that like a genetic thing? Are there some sensitivity? I haven't seen SNPs that are, um, correlated with EMF. Um, I don't know how much research has been done in that. We know that some people are definitely more sensitive. And I think that you were mentioning you've had Lyme, you've had different um, kind of battles with your health. I think that just because your mitochondria are affected as well, um, I think it probably is affecting you more. And I think, you know, there are people who are more sensitive. We just know that. What do you, when you, you were saying you get really inflamed, like how does that show up for you in terms of what symptoms will you experience? Like, like, I mean, it's like none of my rings fit. Like my fingers, sw- like my whole body just like swells up. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like sometimes my, my eyes will like be swollen shut. Like I'll wake up and I just feel swollen shut. It's, it's wild. I'm, yeah, I'm like mm-hmm. super sensitive. Um, but yeah, I was just curious and I, I love your sauna. I'm really jealous. Uh, <laughs> I want like a legit one. I have one of those like travel ones. I don't even know if it works. But <laughs> I want to know what like a day in your life is like. What is a day in the life of a biohacker? So what do I do? The first thing I do when I wake up is I will have a look and see how I slept and maybe make, um, I'll kind of log a few things in my journal. And then I, um, this kind of after brushing my teeth and then I will, um, I alternate. Okay. So I love meditation to start my day. That's one of the best things because I feel like I can then really consciously create the day that I want to have. Um, so I'm really into, into that side of things. So I will meditate first and that will vary. I sometimes will meditate in bed. So particularly as somebody who struggles with depression for so long, if I, I still sometimes wake up and feel like I've got to kind of consciously put one foot in front of the other. I don't want to get out of bed. Um, even though now I'm completely free of medication. So I will, if it feels like that, I will nip that in the bud by meditating before I even get out of bed. And that just kind of shifts and changes my mood. Otherwise, I will meditate either in the sauna or um, in front of my light. And then I then um, go for a walk. Um, so quite often I'll have a big glass of, I'll have a large glass of water. Sometimes I'll put like a hydrogen tablet in it. Um, and then I will go for a fasted walk with my dogs and my husband in the morning. First thing, the kids are usually still asleep. And then, um, we'll go for a walk in kind of the forest and the countryside, which is amazing. Um, and then come back. And then after that, I will have, um, I don't exercise in the morning. I don't exercise hard because I think in the morning cortisol is already quite high to get you kind of going. So I might do sauna, but I wouldn't do hard hitting exercise at that point. So then I would kind of start my day. Um, I do like to have a cold shower. I find that that just gives me that kind of mental pick me up. And obviously there's lots of benefits there. And then I'll have coffee and I will start my working day, do breakfast for my kids. And then I usually do my best time of day to work out for me. Lots of people say that I d- the ideal time for coordination and strength is in the mid afternoon. But I know for me, it's before lunchtime. I just have a much better workout. So I'll usually exercise then. And then I'll do, I rotate across the week in terms of what I do. And then lunchtime is always a salad with some kind of healthy fats and protein, because I found that that's the best thing for keeping my energy in the afternoon. I find if I eat carbs, 
you naturally get that postprandial dip. But if I eat carbs at lunchtime, then I find it really difficult to be energized in the afternoon. I may have a shot of espresso after lunch, but I generally don't have coffee after 2 p.m. because then it interferes with my sleep. Um, in the evening, one of the things we love to do as a family is we will, while we're having dinner together, we will do gratitude. So we'll kind of go around the table and talk about what we're grateful for. Um, and then I, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other biohacks. Some of the biohacks I use, like if I want a later meditation, like if I'm quite stressed, sometimes I use the Muse headband actually, because mm. I find that's a really quick way of just, it makes me a bit more conscious when I'm doing it. Sometimes I will just do nothing. I don't know if you've, if you come across Emily Fletcher's work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I love her method of med- meditation for an afternoon meditation. That for me is just great. She does the mindful breathing and then you kind of focus on your mantra. And you just sit in stillness. And that will actually give me really powerful productivity all afternoon. Um, there's certain supplements that I take and I rotate those. So sometimes I will take um, nootropics. The, my go-tos are always really high um, B vitamins for energy because that came up actually on my genetics in terms of methylation. And then I also take um, three to four grams of fish oil a day. I find that makes a massive difference um, to my health. And then I'll take some essential amino acids and creatine. And then, um, yeah, bedtime, we kind of restrict the blue light. I wear blue light blocking glasses in the evening. It's kind of chill time with the family. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love this. I I have questions related to it. Tell, Tell us about the hydrogen tablets. Yeah. So hydrogen water is basically, it's got some magnesium with it and it basically separates the kind of ions in the water and it's like an antioxidant. I this is something that's quite new for me. I'm experimenting. Have you tried it? Because I'm experimenting I, to see I, whether I notice the difference. I haven't done it regularly, so I can't I just had it a couple times, so I can't really say. But I yeah. think it's, part of me is like, does it actually do it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? So there's so there's uh you know there's quite a lot there in terms of like improving antioxidant status. But I think I, at the moment, I'll have to come back to you on whether I think, because I am doing it at the moment consistently to see. And it's very, very difficult because you've got to work out whether the really large glass of water is also doing a lot of it, right? Because yeah. you're hydrating first thing. Yeah. Um, another little thing that I've been playing with recently is I interviewed on my podcast, the Patrick McEwen, who wrote the book, The Oxygen Advantage. Mm. And after my, um, pneumonia, I got infection-induced asthma. So I've been really playing with nasal breathing. And particularly, I've got, I don't know if you can see a watt bike behind me here. Oh, yeah. So I've been training on that and trying to like work within a heart rate where I can maintain um, fully just nasal breathing. I haven't Mm. translated that into running yet. That's hard. Then I I know I over-breathe and I mouth-breathe. But certainly on the bike, I'm looking at my thresholds and seeing. Because generally, as long as you can nasal breathe, so you could, in theory, really hold a conversation easily. You can improve your fitness and base at the same time and also stay in fat burning mode. So it's kind of quite a great exercise to do then um, for that reason. Yeah. So that do was a bit random, tape? but something. I don't because I don't believe that I, I don't think I need to. I don't breathe through my mouth at night. And I okay. know that because I don't wake up with a dry mouth. And most of the time I am mouth breathing. I think for me, what's clear is that I don't expel all of the air from my lungs. And when I was put in one of these oxygen chambers and they assess you, 
that's what they found. And that's from the inflammation in the really deep layers of the lung. Mm. So that isn't um, something, but it, it was interesting on the podcast because he, you know, when you have a breathing specialist that you're interviewing, he was like, wow, you sigh like every eight or nine breaths you kind of take this big sigh (laughs) and then he did the bolt score method on me and I had like a really low score so that's been my thing like I've got to fire hat the breath now oh my gosh (laughs) I would be so self-conscious I don't think I I can't interview a breathing expert here it was quite funny (laughs) if you want to improve your health whether that is balancing out your hormones healing from any type of illness losing weight or regulating your mood And or if you want to optimize your productivity, improve your energy levels and improve the quality of your work, then you need to focus on your sleep. This is why I have been so obsessed with the sleep cycle app, because it makes it so easy for you to do. You don't have to wear anything on your body. You just use the app on your phone. They have both a free and a paid premium version of the app, and it tracks and analyzes your sleep and helps you wake up in a really gentle way. The data is so incredibly useful. It shows you how long you've been in bed, but then also how long you've actually been asleep and what your sleep looks like during the night. So it shows you when you wake up during the night, when you're sleeping, and then when you're in deep sleep. It even tracks when you snore and tells you what time. All of this data has been so helpful for me to understand what type of sleeping conditions I sleep the best in and also what types of nighttime routines are optimal for me to get my best night's rest. Sleep Cycle's wake-up window has completely changed the game for me. It helps you wake up really gently when you're in light sleep so that you feel rested and refreshed throughout the day. Because the problem is when you just set an alarm at whatever time you want to wake up at that very specific time, if that happens to be when you're in the middle of deep sleep, then you're going to wake up and go throughout the day feeling really jet-lagged, exhausted, and really not your best, even if you got a full night's sleep. I cannot live without the wake-up window. It has changed my life. The premium version also has their sleep aid program, which has meditation guides, stories, music, ASMR sounds, a whole library of tools to help you fall asleep. For those of you who struggle getting to sleep, I know that so many of my clients have told me they really struggle with calming down their minds and actually getting to sleep. So this can be really, really helpful. And they have their sleep training program, which is split up into emails. It is based on cognitive behavioral therapy designed with therapists and scientists who work within the field of sleep. You'll definitely want to check that out if you want to be trained in all things sleep from the experts. You are not your best self unless you have gotten a good night's sleep and there is no downside to trying this out. So You want to get on over to your phone right now and download the Sleep Cycle app. You can go to sleepcycle.com slash wellness today to start improving your sleep for free. And when you go to sleepcycle.com slash wellness, you will get access to Sleep Cycle Premium for seven days totally free. Again, that's sleepcycle.com, S-L-E-E-P-C-Y-C-L-E.com slash wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, and you can start improving your sleep tonight for free. I'm curious more about your training routine. In terms of what what my training, my workouts look like across a week? Yeah. Yeah. So I, this is quite interesting because I am, and I think this is true for a lot of women, um, particularly if you're a bit of a type A like me, I was always, I love doing hit and I love going hard. I love going for a run and you get the endorphins. 
And what I've realized over time is that you definitely are pushing the body too hard on a consistent basis. And I think if you're doing that and you're in your 20s, that's fine. But now I'm in my 40s, I need to kind of look more closely at exercise. So mine is now a combination. So I'll do some of that cardio work that I was talking about, which is at a much lower intensity. And then I do a lot of walking because I just think the benefits are amazing. And then I also do strength training maybe three or four times a week. And that varies. Sometimes I'll do um, traditional kind of strength resistance training. And sometimes I'll mix it up with some more CrossFit style stuff to kind of get that workout going. But I watch, that's where I do track my HRV because if it's going to, um, if it starts going the wrong direction, then I know that that's a sign that I'm definitely pushing myself too hard. And so then I will um, dial it back. And then once every two weeks or so, I'll do specifically VO2 max training to try and keep that cardiovascular work. So that will be where I'll do a workout where it'll be warm up for 10 minutes and then I'll cycle four minutes intense with four minutes recovery. So it's four minutes on, four minutes off. Um, I'll do some sprint work. So like to enhance the health of mitochondria, sprint training is actually really good. So I'll do that and that would normally be 30 second sprints, but sometimes I'll do really fast ones for like five seconds, for example, five, 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that normally I would couple with an eight times recovery. So if you were doing a 30 second sprint, that would be like a four minute recovery. And then um, because you can't go as hard, I find if you don't do that, and actually that's what science shows in terms of improving mitochondrial health, that you need that recovery. So that's what I do there. Um, and then I do some kind of flexibility and yoga work. I used to love hot yoga when the yoga studios were open, but at the moment those are all closed. And then I also do obviously the sauna as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, this is why I love what, what you do to have a woman's perspective, because I feel like so many people in the biohacking space are men. And it's like when Ben, like I've interviewed Ben and like, he'll come on and I'm like, no one here can do that. You're talking to all women, (laughs) you know? And, um, I think it's really hard for people to give up their high intensity workouts at the level that they do them at, because a lot of women are doing high intensity workouts like six or seven days a week. Um, so I think it's really helpful to hear your perspective on that. What's interesting as well that I've been looking at more recently is I think is looking at your menstrual cycle and then organizing the workouts around that. So that's a really kind of new-ish area that's coming out. But if you look at like Elisa Vitti's work, she's done quite a lot and stuck to Stacey Sims. And I think it's really important because we're not small men, right? Stacey Sims say that and we're not. And I think that we can push, try and push ourselves really hard, but there are going to be fluctuations. And even what I found as I've began to track that is that actually it can vary so dramatically from one month to the next. So sometimes on like day one of your period, you can feel absolutely exhausted and you just need to give in to that but then other months on day one you feel so energized you can go and really train and and there's some evidence of that actually that we're most like men when we're having our period and you know Paula Radcliffe the British marathoner she actually broke the world record I think on the first day of her period which you know sounds crazy but what I always say to women is you've got to go with how you feel and it's not that you people worry like am I not going to get results Actually, I think the reverse is true. I think that if you push when your body isn't primed, isn't isn't sort of ready enough to do it, you're more likely to be catabolic of muscle tissue. So you're more likely to break down muscle tissue. So that's really important. It's also like with women, 
fasting for really long periods of time can put women under more stress. And I think you have to be mindful of that as well. We're not, you know, we're not small men. I know I've said that already, but I think if you try and fast for very long periods, like some women are now getting their eating window down to maybe like four hours a day. We weren't really built like that. We were built to bear children and it's different. And if you put the body under too much stress, you can see some hormonal dysfunction as well. Yeah. So what type of fasting routine do you feel like women work best with? I find that women work really well with definitely, I think, I don't think there's anybody that I can think of unless they had some really severe health problem that doesn't work well with a 12 hour overnight fast minimum. I think that just gives the body the rest that it needs to do that repair. And I think many women can kind of manage 13, 14 hours without too much um, concern. And sometimes up to 16 hours, I wouldn't necessarily suggest it on an everyday basis. I think if you start going, beyond that for long periods, I think that's when it can cause some problem. Or like you were mentioning the HIIT workouts, I think if you try and do a HIIT workout, when you're in that deep depleted state of muscle glycogen, it can actually just go, kind of go against your results. So you have to see women that, you know, they're pushing really, really hard and they're like, well, why is the weight not coming off? And I'm doing all these HIIT workouts, so they, they HIIT workouts, they up the intensity again and again. And actually it's counterproductive. And then the body's under stress. And the first thing the body will do is hang on to fat because it's a storage mechanism. And it's going to basically provide energy in the case of something like famine or if there's, there's stress there. Um, and muscle is heavier. So then it will just start to lose that muscle. And then you're kind of on a losing wicket really because, you know, muscle burns about seven times the calories of fat. So focusing on muscle is really important. And having enough protein in your diet to support that is equally important. I think, I mean, I was doing this a bit myself not long ago where I was really tired. And actually, I found out this is another common thing, I think, for women, particularly women that have endometriosis and PCOS like me, is that you lose iron and your iron stores can go down quite rapidly. So what I was finding is I was actually using HIIT workouts to try and stimulate that energy that I needed. And it was just depleting me. So when I looked and did my Dutch test, for example, not long ago, what I saw was that my morning cortisol would rise in the morning to kind of get you out of bed, but it would very quickly fall and that, and that it shouldn't fall that quickly. And then the metabolized cortisol was really quite low. So it was almost as if my body was, and my iron stores were low. So it was almost as if my body was then like, well, if you do it, I felt like I couldn't get going without hit. And so then, or going for a run. That would obviously get the endorphins going, but then you're just depleting everything further. So I think if, if, you know, if the listeners are, the people listening to this are feeling like that, women is go and get some, some tests done and check out and also try and just go more in tune with your body. I think you'll see better results. Yeah. I think a lot of women, um, also, especially listening to this podcast, like to turn to a lot of hit because they're trying to save time. Like there are a lot of women listening to this who are entrepreneurs. And feel, you know, they're just they're trying to do all their little, their biohacks to save time in a day because they're so busy and they're stressed out. And I think that's another reason why they try and go to the, like the shorter and high intensity workouts. Mm. Yeah, they do. And they are amazing for saving time. But I think sometimes you might just have to say, well, do you know what? I'm really genuinely not feeling it today, particularly for women that are entrepreneurs or they're in really senior management positions. And if they've got children as well, you kind of got to look at the overall stress pot. And think how much additional stress can I keep loading onto the body? Because it's not, 
you know, I, I did suffer with burnout really badly. And, and by the time you get hospitalized with something like pneumonia and it all goes down, it, what I never appreciated was the road back, how long that would take. That's the thing. And you've probably found that yourself from your health problems is it's actually the journey back that takes so long. So if you can avoid that, then it's better. Yeah. And how long did it take you to feel like you really kind of overcame that, that burnout? Um, a lot, I would say a long time, I would say probably about four years to really get back. Yeah. yeah well, it's good for so. people to hear because, you know, they're like, I've been doing this for three months. It's like, it just, it takes longer. You just got to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, and be patient. And yeah, exactly. Well, for women listening with PCOS, I'm curious more of like, what do you think helped you the most with putting that into remission? Definitely the diet. So I think that basically understanding that you can't, you can't, you probably are sensitive to carbohydrates and your blood sugar is going to have more dysregulation. And if insulin is high, that has an impact on lutensing hormone. And if that's not then high enough to simulate the egg to actually release from the ovary, you end up not, not ovulating and you just, the egg almost gets half out and you end up with these cysts. And so for me, I actually had to have surgery before I could have my children because the cysts had become so bad, they actually had to kind of laser them off and then drill holes into my ovaries to allow me to ovulate. But that was when I was like, well, actually, I'm now determined to kind of get my diet right. And that's definitely kept it. So it, it keeping my carbohydrates low is the one thing that I can say really dramatically helped me to have a consistent menstrual cycle. Because I think that's the hardest thing for women with PCOS is that you never know, like, is it going to be one month? Is it going to be three months? Is it going to be, you know, sometimes it would be a year for me. And then you, you maybe don't worry about it quite as much until you decide that you want to start a family and then it becomes really stressful. Um, and then obviously it can lead to other issues when you've got those cysts because then I started getting bigger ones. So I would say that the um, carbohydrates and just making sure that you're having really good, healthy foods that help the body to detoxify better and making sure that you're not eating any kind of pro-inflammatory fats, just keeping inflammation low and going with a really whole food, you know, naturally healthy fat diet is has, was, was key for me. What do you consider to be low carbohydrate? So for me, it would be like, I've, I've, I guess definitely below kind of 75 grams, but maybe even below as low as 50. I find that it depends on your exercise demand. So it would be hard for me to say, uh, you need to keep your carbohydrates to this because I've got to take the individual into account. But I definitely think that understanding that you cannot process, like your blood sugar is going to rise too high if you're having more than a fist of carbs. And that, for a lot of people, they have to understand that because they're like, well, that looks really small on my plate. And it does look small on your plate. And it doesn't mean that you can't have carbs, but it's just understanding that fast burning carbs for you are going to raise um, blood sugar that much more quickly. Mm-hmm. So, and then for me, as I said, I, I don't really eat them at lunchtime because I find that that really just impacts my, um, my mood. But it's not to say that you can't have any, you know, I would have even when I was wearing, I don't know if you found this, but if I have like, the, the continuous blood glucose monitor on. What I found was that, you know, even having a glass of red wine in the evening would not really elevate things particularly. And if I kept my carbohydrates reasonably low, 
I think people sometimes underestimate how quickly juicing can really trigger your carbs because you've got no fiber. And actually, even celery juice just made mine spike really big. Um, like because my husband was juicing and he was like, Oh my God, look, I've just made you and I love it with ginger. I just love mm-hmm. that peppery taste. So he poured me this huge glass of celery juice and it just went chum, straight up. So again, I think it's more about the quantity is it's not necessarily that you've got to cut out these things and some of these foods are healthy. It's just looking at it and going, well, for me, maybe it's just going to be smaller. Yeah. Wait, can we talk about celery juice? Uh, so do you, do you drink celery juice every day? I don't do it every day. I think if I was organized enough and I could be bothered to wash the juicer daily, yeah. then, then I would, you know what I mean? If I had somebody that would make me celery juice daily, oh, then yes, that would be amazing. Yeah, it's the most annoying <laughs> thing, but I've been doing it daily for a couple months. Um, and I, I'm curious what, what you think about it. Like, do you think there are benefits like in terms of the science? I think the benefits, I'd, I think science-wise... Yeah, there's there's some evidence, but I think it's more like if you look at the people that drink it, they get amazingly clear skin. Like I, yeah. I want to do it because obviously for me, what I notice is like I've always I, I battle when you've got hormonal issues. I'm always battling the like the the spots and things, and so I I kind of want to do it actually just to be curious to see would it just clean everything up? Do you have it in the morning on an empty stomach? Is that the way yeah. that you have it? Yeah, I, I've been doing it in the morning on an empty stomach and then I started adding it in. I do I do 24 ounces in the morning on an empty stomach and then I do another um, 16 in the afternoon, like in between meals, like kind of on an empty stomach. Um, and I'm like working with a doctor who recommended this. So I'm like, I'll try it. Well, why not? Um, and she was saying like, I need to do it for three to six months to really see results, but it's definitely helped my digestion a lot. It's definitely helped my digestion. Yeah. And I don't, I used to have to drink coffee to like survive. Um, and I, it's, I don't need coffee anymore. Like I don't need caffeine at all. I feel like it just gives me so much energy. Amazing. And so when you, but when you have like a 16 ounce glass, did you find that it makes your blood sugar go up or not? Mm Mm-mm. No. Okay. Interesting. See, for me, that did. Mm. That would definitely. But Mm. I think for me, it just had to be a smaller amount. Um, Mm. The other thing that's amazing about things like celery, and if you put like parsley in with it as well, is obviously they've got what's known as sirtuin enhancing compounds. Mm. So you're actually activating your longevity genes. And those same genes actually have an impact on metabolism as well. So it can actually help you. So there's some science there in terms of longevity and metabolic benefits. Yeah. What else besides celery can activate those those genes? Uh, so there's a few different ones. There's um, bird's eye chilies can do it, um, parsley, celery, um, dark chocolate, kind of raw cacao, um, red wine to a degree because it contains resveratrol. Yeah, there's a few different foods. Okay. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. And I also wanted to ask you, like, do you, I feel like right now protein intake is a hot topic. Um, do you uh, moderate your protein intake or are you a high protein person or like what's your stance on that in terms of longevity? Yeah. So I know a lot of people are talking about that, aren't they? And they're moderating their protein and they're kind of going much higher fat. Um, for me, that wouldn't work. So obviously, like as I've mentioned, looking at my genetics, that wouldn't work. I did go a bit lower protein and was eating more kind of fats like olive oil and more vegetables. And what I noticed is that I 
I lost some muscle mass. So I actually mm. think that particularly as you get older, I think if you want to stay leaner, I think muscle is your friend in terms of longevity. So actually, I I wouldn't say I go like ridiculously high, but I do prioritize protein as part of my diet for that reason. Okay. Love it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic. I'm like, right now, I'm not eating that much protein because I'm on this experiment. I do like every diet I'm under the sun, but in general, I'm very pro high protein. Uh, personally, it's my, I'm like team Gabrielle yeah. Lyon. <laughs> yeah, no, I am as well. I, I, I like Gabrielle Lyon. I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, people, you look good on it when you eat protein. And I think you can over worry about it. There's also lots of things that people that are doing bodybuilding do that just are not in line with longevity and not good for them that are unrelated, obviously, mm-hmm. to protein. What's the diet that you're trying at the moment? I'm curious. Oh, I'm doing, um, like a medical medium protocol. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing a medical medium protocol, but like, I mean, I've done keto, uh, carnivore, uh, you know. Oh, you've done carnivore. See, yeah. that I think I would find hard. <laughs> I, yeah, I did it for about six months, um, before this actually. And that's what my blood sugar was like. It just destroyed me. And that's when I started going deeper into my genetics and realized I have a SNP where I, um, like saturated fats are inflammatory in my body. My body can't utilize those for energy. And so I was like, no wonder I feel like shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done the potato diet, gaps, low FODMAP, SCB. I like to try everything. So, but I never really gone like vegan route before for like mm. health reasons. <laughs> like I don't really believe, uh, it's healthy necessarily, but I still want to try it. You do, do you? See, I yeah, always well, think that's, that's yeah, yeah, because you're trying them all. And have you got a favorite? I think different things have worked better at different times. You know, like everything I've, I, everything I've tried, I liked except for like low, like I don't like low FODMAP diets and stuff like that. Never really um, helped, and I've always come at it with like the angle of gut, like how my gut feels, um, and with clients too. But I think I've just liked different aspects of different. I mean, carnivore, I, I loved because it was so simple and mm. like, it was just so simple. And I, I love meat. I think it tastes delicious. Um, <laughs> and so it was just easy. I didn't have to eat very often. Like I could eat one or two meals a day and like, I was totally fine and it gave me more time in the day. But then I started really craving like colors. Like I really wanted color and variety. And now I love eating this way. Cause I feel like, I mean, I didn't eat fruit for like almost five years. Like. And I'm like, I can just eat all this fruit and I love it. And I feel great. My blood sugar feels more balanced. Um, but yeah, I think, and, but for a really long time, I just loved being like low carb paleo and just kind of like cycling mm. and carbs. Um, that's the one that I think resonates the most with me when I've tried yeah. It's kind of paleo style. I just feel really good on it. And I think people have, you have to go with how you feel, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And being just open to like how your body changes. You know, mm. like, I mean, people are like, how do you always change diets? I'm like, my body needs my, my body needs different things and I can just tell. And so then I'll just like, I mean, the second I feel like crap, I'm just going to do something else. Like <laughs> I'm just yeah. kind of waiting for it, but I like to experiment. And I think a lot of people, um, just kind of stick with the same diet and they think they're changing it, but they're not really, they're not really yeah. changing it. They're like, yeah, I went high fat and I'm like, what you added in like an extra teaspoon of fat. Now you're not, <laughs> high fat, you know, um, and you're not really going to know how you feel 
unless you, you try different things. But I think there's so much value in, I, I think the genetic side is just so interesting. Like, I just think it's fascinating. Um, and I wonder how much it would, like, I don't know how much it will develop and how that can help other people. I think it will continue to develop. Like I've been doing some testing with a company now where they, they test 31 million data points. Wow. And, um, that is, that's, and they, they can give you kind of lots of like cancer risk genes and, yeah. um, a whole host of information. Um, and now they're doing kind of, I mean, there's some fun stuff in there where they do correlative studies where they look at, are you more likely to be entrepreneurial? And I don't think, you know, the science there, I don't think is strong. It's fun to find yeah. out, you know, when I got told that I was gifted in music and dance and my kids were like, no way, we can't stand it when you sing. When you sing, I was just like, no, mommy just needs more practice. Yeah. I'm gifted. <laughs> I love it. That's so interesting. Well, of these, these different tests that like, there are a bunch of different popular ones. Do you have any that you think, uh, are more accurate than others? Like yeah, I think, ones? I do think, um, the what, sorry? That home tests, you know? Yeah, I think, um, there's a few companies. Some of them I think are only based in the UK, like, um, Omnos do one, but that I don't think goes outside of Europe. And another company is my DNA health. Mm. Um, and then on the sports side, I've done quite a bit of work with the guys over at DNA fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just merged with Prenetics with Circle. Circle's actually the one that tests 31 million data points. Okay. And that's, that's, their standards are very high in terms of accuracy and also data protection. And that's quite, that's delivered neatly through an app as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I like those ones that I've mentioned because what they do is they translate the data for you. Whereas I've seen clients that have done 23andMe and then they've tried to put it through something like Strategene or Dr. Rhonda Patrick and they're amazing if you really know what you're doing, but it's quite difficult for the average person to really interpret that data and understand what they should do. Mm-hmm. Um, so whereas these companies are maybe putting it in a more accessible way for people. Yeah. Yeah. I know that makes sense. I've done DNA fit and Rhonda Patrick and a few others. And I think Rhonda Patrick's was like, I found it the most helpful because I thought it was the most comprehensive, but I also know a lot more about like, this than the average person <laughs> so i could kind yes. of sort through it and with that you'll like it, it it tells you like you know the snip and then the interpretation but if you look at all of it together there will be things that are conflicting because it's just kind of like putting out all the information related to that to that snip um and so that i think that could confuse people like mm-hmm. you know like one it could say oh you should be on a low carb diet oh you'll do better on a high carb diet like right after each other because it's just a bunch of different things. Oh, um, I see. Because it's laid out in that way. Yeah. 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 I think so, that's harder. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, the DNA fit I did a while back. Um, but yeah, I've done all kinds. I'll have to send you the ones that I've done I've done before. I'm curious. Yeah, for sure. Other companies. Um, yeah. But, you send okay. me and I'll have a look. And then, yeah. uh, and then I'd love to get you back on my show and we'll talk about your diets. Oh my God. Yeah. I would love to do that. I love talking about my time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Really fun. (laughs) Yeah. So I know that everyone is going to want to listen to your podcast and learn more from you. Uh, so can you just tell my listeners before you go where they can find more from you? Yeah, for sure. So, um, the podcast is high performance health podcast, um, which is obviously on all the kind of platform providers. And then I, my website is Angela Foster performance. And then uh, I'm probably most active on Instagram, to be honest, out of all the platforms. That's where I spend the most time. So that is Angela S. Foster. And so, yeah, if you want to connect me there, um, I'd love to see you. And yeah, send me a message and we'll connect. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Angela. I had so much fun chatting with you. Me too. Thanks so much for having me on. Huge thank you to Angela for coming on the podcast. You can find more from her at AngelaFosterPerformance.com, at MyDNAEdge.com, and on her podcast, the High Performance Health Podcast, and of course on Instagram at Angela S. Foster. Don't forget, you can get exclusive behind the scenes access to content related to the podcast and my life on my private Instagram account at Wellness Realness Crew. All you have to do to get access to that account is take a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review and DM it to that account, Wellness Realness Crew. When you DM your screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to that account and request to follow, then I will accept your request and you will get access to the page. You can also connect further with other podcast listeners in our free Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. So request to join. That's going to be it for today's show. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Make sure you share it. If you enjoyed the show, tag me, tag Angela. We would so appreciate it. And I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. I'll talk to you again next episode.